0: You are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello there, welcome to this week's podcast. So, this week you're not going to hear a conversation I had. Although I did have a conversation with this person, but the recording didn't really work out how we would have liked. So she then recorded her answers again afterwards and sent those to me. So that's what you're going to hear. And um, so I had a conversation with a wonderful person called Hannah, and Hannah is in the UK, and um, Hannah has a mild form of cerebral palsy. She also has a restrictive eating disorder, or I should say is in strong recovery from a restrictive eating disorder. And so Hannah actually contacted me because I, had a, I have a YouTube channel where each day, I, or at least I try to each day, answer a question that somebody has emailed me and i just give a general answer on YouTube. And uh, I had an email from a person with cerebral palsy who was asking me um, how, if I could talk about managing a disability and recovery from an eating disorder. And I actually, um, in that video, I, I did actually put a call out and say, I'd love to talk to more people who are managing any disability and are also in recovery from an eating disorder. I've worked with a fair few I have to admit. I've worked with a fair few people with cerebral palsy who also have a restrictive eating disorder and I'd say that there are certainly complications and considerations to bring into the fold. Um, And so I was really thrilled when Hannah reached out to me and said that she would be interested in talking about this and and being a podcast guest about it. Uh, I think that really for the majority of this podcast i'm just going to leave you in the capable hands of hannah to talk about her experience and help you understand and um, educate us on these things so without further ado here's hannah
1: so my name's hannah um i have a mild form of cerebral palsy um which affects my Upper body body, um, mainly my hands and arms. Um, I have notable tremors in my arms, um, which makes things like writing very difficult, um, also makes anything involving um, coordination um, quite difficult, so dance for me is a no-no. Um, <laughs> handwriting is very difficult. Um, So as you can imagine, um, going through uh, especially the schooling system is uh, particularly challenging um, when so much of it is focused on um, writing and movement. Um, Subjects like uh, PE, physical education or gym uh, were particularly um, difficult and I was often kind of picked on by teachers for being unfit because not being able to run or catch a ball was seen to be associated with um, fitness and not being very strong and it wasn't necessarily linked with the difficulties that I was experiencing with my body. Um, I should probably note here that I wasn't actually formally diagnosed with uh, cerebral palsy until I was 15 years old, Um, although I was quite noticeably having difficulties and struggles, I didn't have um, a label to put on that, Um, which is uh, quite interesting really because I think a lot of the time we can be quite down on diagnostic labels um, and not necessarily see them as a good thing, we see them as putting people in boxes but um, sometimes they can be quite empowering especially um, when they give you a reason for why things are difficult. Um, But anyway, uh, so that's that's my um, cerebral palsy and then also Uh, When I was in my early teens, I began having difficulties with my eating and body image. And and actually my difficulties with that go right back to when I was really young. Um, I remember often thinking I was fat and in the school playground comparing my body to those of my peers. Um, and that started very early and I don't know whether that might be because my body was, um, quite a focus when I was going through, um, assessments up at the hospital and with physiotherapists when I was, um, young, um, that my body was a focus of medical appointments and they were looking at what was wrong with my body. And so, I took that and would compare the size of my body with my peers. Um, And I would say that started when I was about six or seven. Um, I wasn't fully um, diagnosed with an eating disorder, um, anorexia, until my mid-teens. And that kind of um, started very quickly. Um, For me, I went on a diet and I stuck to that diet and my mindset changed very quickly. It was almost overnight from having a relatively normal relationship with food, a few minor difficulties, um, some of which I'll talk about more. Um, but they were mainly due to physical difficulties and the mechanics of eating. Um, And yeah, and just overnight I went on this diet and my mindset absolutely shifted and I stuck to it. And ever since um, almost the day that I went on that diet, I was very rigid around food, um, very fearful. Uh, very obsessive, um, counted calories, measured my body, uh, all those kinds of very dangerous, very negative uh, habits that come with having an eating disorder and ones that I'm very glad that um, I no longer engage with because I now have a much fuller life. So that's really the two the two issues together, the disability and the eating disorder, um, from my experience. Um, I'm in my mid 20s now, so it's been about 10 years since I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy, although I've had it since birth, and uh, just over 10 years since my eating disorder started. Um, I was in a waysy recovery I would say since I was about 20 and I would say more solidly in recovery for the last um, two years and I'm just kind of uh, finally getting to the end of uh, figuring out some of those trickier habits now. So um, considering how eating disorders and physical disability may overlap. Um, I think obviously it's difficult uh, to say for everyone, I certainly don't speak on behalf of all disabled people, Um, neither do I speak on behalf of everyone with an eating disorder. Um, But for me I would say that they're very uh, much aligned and I would say that I was definitely more at risk for developing difficulties with eating as a result of my physical disability. Um, I use the term disability, I think it's important to note, in a positive way. I identify as disabled. Um, I know there's a lot of issues with that word um, but I really feel strongly a part of things like disabled activism, um, achieving equality and rights for disabled people um, which is still certainly not there yet and I definitely believe in a social model of disability And just in case people haven't heard of what that is, it just means that um, we view disability as the world not being set up um, to deal with our kind of body and also, um, you know, uh, mental-emotional diversity, which is not. The world is, is kind of designed for people who are, for want of a better word, able-bodied. You know, if we all um, required uh, wheelchairs to get around then we would have ramps everywhere and we wouldn't have invented stairs. So that's kind of the worldview that I'm coming at this from. Um, If you're interested, there's loads of brilliant resources on the internet that explain the social model of disability. Um, in contrast particularly to the medical model of disability. Um, so, living in a world that's not um, equipped to deal with um, all the physical diversity that there is, um, for me in particular, this certainly set up um, some issues with self-esteem, self-confidence, identity, um, and also um, with body image, um, so my body as I've mentioned um, was quite a focus in medical appointments and it was all about what's wrong with your body, what you can't do and again in school from a very early age it was um, what I couldn't do. Um, and school can be tough socially for anybody especially secondary school and um, and when you stand out in any way it's just always going to be that bit tougher um and for me not fitting in because of my body uh, led to me turning inwards and resenting and hating my body um which i don't see now um i see it's It's not my fault, and it's not the fault of my body. I think in a lot of ways, my body is bullying, um but it was just a catalyst for body image issues um and in particular um I would really resent the fact that I was clumsy, and I saw everyone around me as uh, really quite um dainty and, and quite typical. I, I just wanted to be quite girly and neat and kind of fit in, blend in. And when I was kind of dropping things all the time, whether that be a, a ball in PE or spilling a mug of tea down me, which happened a lot, or dropping the test tubes in science and always being that person with a smashed um, glass all over the floor or um, anything like that. I just really stood out and felt that I was clumsy. And I suppose I didn't feel that I could control my body. If you can imagine kind of having tremors, um, I felt very out of control and um then that led to looking at food being something I could control and food was also a way that I could influence my body shape and where this became um an issue for me I would say is being exposed to diet culture um which I'm still learning about now and I I find wonderful, um, kind of learning how to resist that. Um, But at the time I was quite um, naive to it and would really see food as my way of influencing my body. So it was a way that I could take back that ownership Um, So, as I mentioned, I started with a diet and it was just purely restrictive and as I began to observe my body changing, um, I was quite pleased with the influence that I had, I felt quite powerful, Um, and then gradually over time it was a way of other people viewing my body in a different way. So they were no longer reacting to my body as, oh Hannah, she's clumsy, she needs help because she's dropping things, she needs help because she can't carry a tray. It became, oh Hannah, she's thin, oh she's um, losing weight, aren't her clothes baggy? Um, and obviously that's not desirable and it's certainly not what I would want now it's not what I would want for anything else um, it's nothing to aspire to be certainly, um, but at the time it filled a gap um, and I don't know, it was just, it was just something different for me, um, which was quite a welcome break, which is sad isn't it? I got lost in the idea that I was my body, and no one is their body. Um, I think it's really good that we're beginning to see more and more our bodies as being vehicles for getting us around, and actually when people see me and they look at me and they recognise me. They think of my artistic skill, they think of my kindness, they think of my passion and determination and they think of my smile and personality, (laughs) not to blow my own trumpet but these are the things that are important about people and these are the things that we admire in people But I suppose, again, coming back to how eating disorders and physical disability overlap, um, we see that when people are seen and judged and teased and evaluated on what their body looks like or can and can't do, um, I suppose we start to um, feel like we are our bodies and our value is inherent in our bodies. And I think that's true for, sadly, for a lot of people, not just disabled people, um, but a lot of people. Um, And because of that, um, we seek to control that and to fit a mould. And it's given more importance um, within ourselves than what it ought to have and how other people view us. When we judge our own bodies, and not many people are judging other people's bodies, um, and if they are, that's that's quite sad. But I suppose on that note, there is something to be said about body comparison, um, and especially body comparison that happens with people with um, cerebral palsy. Um, I can only talk to my experience here yeah. um but I know that for a time, I was very concerned with how much muscle I had on my body, and I looked at other you know young women who were developing and seeing that they had you know really quite striking abdominal muscles um whereas no, I mean not all of them but the ones I picked up on. And I went through a phase, quite a long phase, of being quite obsessive um, around the gym and exercise and I just couldn't seem to tone up my, um stomach which I was so desperate to do. Um, I mean, apart from anything else, why I was chasing that, I don't know, but anyway, um there's something to be said for comparing disabled bodies to uh, non-disabled bodies um, so uh, one thing that I found quite empowering was looking uh, at the Paralympians and um, if you uh, look at the T35 and T38 athletes who compete in the Paralympics they often have lots of skin on show when they run Um, and you can see that despite um, the vigorous training that they must engage in just like their counterparts in the Olympics um, their relative muscle tone is quite staggering Um, people with cerebral palsy um, and other similar um, disabilities can really struggle to build muscle tone because of um, their disability and the way our bodies are and the way they develop and for me that was extremely validating Um, but I think it just goes to show how little we are exposed to disabled bodies and how um, difficult it is to know what um, disabled bodies look like. So one of the difficulties um, with having um, an eating disorder um, plus um, a physical disability um, is that you can kind of um, become disillusioned by the idea that it, the eating disorder is in some way uh, justified um, because um, our body is let us down in some way or, um, or I heard someone mention that um, they feel unattractive because of their disability and the eating disorder is a way of um, adhering to ideal beauty standards, and I think, again, disabled people are perhaps um, more likely to work even harder to adhere to some kind of standard, um, because that's what we're measured against, and that's what we're constantly seen as as failing. and And if we can fit into a box that society considers normal you know why wouldn't you want to do that and and if an eating disorder feels like your key um in your way into that box then it's it's all very appealing but i i think it's really important to say that nobody absolutely nobody is justified in starving their body for any reason. We don't starve people on death row, you know, they get their final meal um, and there is no reason to justify punishing your body. And on the flip side of that coin, we don't have to be grateful and love eat, love our bodies either just because we're disabled. Um, we're allowed to hate our bodies, we don't have to be grateful just because I can walk. I don't have to be grateful that my body can walk, you know, and someone else with uh, cerebral palsy affecting their legs um, would find that more difficult. Um, I'm under no obligation, same as no one else is on under any obligation to have any such relationship um, with their bodies. You know, I think it's, it's very easy for people with disabilities to... Um, kind of be viewed as a kind of uh, what what I like to term inspiration porn Um, so you know every time I produce uh, something wonderful like a piece of art um, it's seen as you know it might be praised and it but it's always with that caveat and for me it's that caveat of wow that is amazing Or somebody with cerebral palsy or for somebody with a disability and I think no that's just amazing full stop it's not extra amazing because I've got a disability maybe I might think that but you know that's that's not for you to judge judge me on on my qualities and you know I'm not saying forget about um the disability um you know I might want you to help me out when I need assistance, like carrying a tray in a cafe. Um, but same as, same really with, with eating disorders, you know. It's not particularly wonderful if you do things, um, despite an eating disorder. It's just wonderful that, that you do what you do. Um, and your self-esteem shouldn't be linked to, um, You know, how many, I don't know what you do, how many calories you eat in a day. That's not self-esteem. That's not, you know, that doesn't make you any better or worse of a person. I think there's lots of parallels there. Definitely. Um, Same with exercise. Again, you know, I mean, it's great if you achieve a target that's important to you. And and that might be, you know, really important. I'm not saying that... Um, You shouldn't feel proud of your achievements. Uh, I think it's important to never feel proud of doing something that you perhaps don't enjoy or is pure punishment because what a waste of life, what a waste. So another thing that I think is really key to talk about and really important um, is experiences of treatment when you have a physical disability. Um, because not all eating disorder professionals are necessarily versed in um, all kinds of disability that there might be. Um, and my experience is um, having a physical disability and being involved in um, outpatient, day patient and inpatient treatment over the past few years. Um, and I don't have many particularly positive experiences to talk about because for me a positive experience would just be kind of to be treated um, normally. Um, I suppose the most positive thing that's happened is having it um, addressed in a therapeutic context and kind of talking a little bit Um, around the kind of overlap between the physical disability and the eating issues. Um, But I can certainly talk about uh, maybe some of my more negative experiences of treatment and hopefully um, give some solidarity to anyone who's going through it as well because you, I think, can certainly feel quite alone when you are quite uh, well in quite a unique situation, and also, I really hope if there are any um professionals who either work with eating disorders or work with people with physical disabilities, um I hope that they can maybe take something away from this and and maybe have a think about it. um so. To start with, um, there's what well, I'd say the worst of the worst was not being believed um, necessarily that about various things. And this was particularly difficult because, as I said, I got my diagnosis very late in life, and I spent a lot of my uh, former years not being believed um, that I had anything legitimately uh, wrong with me that I wasn't putting it on. but uh, certainly, uh, when I had tremors it was, could be viewed as anxiety by some people and I was really questioned as to whether I was putting it on to maybe look like I was having a more difficult time at the table, um, talking about kind of inpatient and day daypatient experiences. Um, was, it was viewed as, as an excuse um for trying to get out of things um I was maybe more reluctant to do things like uh therapeutic activities like yoga because I'd find it quite exposing um and that was put to me there as a, as a challenge that that was something to challenge but without necessarily the kind of um the follow-up or the kind of discussion as to why that might be quite difficult um uh yeah so that that was really tricky um also um i was banned from doing any kind of physiotherapy exercises because that would be viewed as um you know trying to burn calories so that felt like a bit a bit unfair and I wasn't really heard in that respect Um, uh, and also something else that was really difficult for me um, was that I was kind of encouraged to not engage with disabled activism and to kind of put a pause on that because it was seen as like I was trying to take on another label um, as a disabled person. I mean, uh, people were trying to put a cap on me kind of engaging with things like feminist movements as well, Um, but certainly with disabled activism, it was uh, like I was hiding from my own identity as as Hannah and Hannah as a person and I think I've spoken to how it's important not to get too wrapped up in your disability and what you can't do and your body is your anxiety um, identity sorry um but I I do think that if activism is really important to you then I think that's something you know that could be really quite empowering and really can uh propel you forwards uh in recovery. Um and there are other activities that I find difficult to participate in, such as therapeutic writing. Um I've been in C B T groups for example, where we might have to do a piece of writing and I wouldn't be able to handwrite on paper, um, especially if we were sitting in armchairs as you can imagine there's not much to lean on Um, and so I might be taken out of the room for that activity and obviously given a a table or just you know there just wasn't that uh, forethought as to how doing what might be quite a sensitive activity like therapeutic writing in in a group might just um, expose me and highlight me in what I felt to be quite a negative way um, which could have been remediated remediated quite easily um, and quickly by maybe providing a keyboard or providing a laptop or, or not even providing it but allowing one I mean that's something that we weren't allowed in in groups so I just think there's a way of kind of especially in this day and age Um, working with people to work around their disabilities Um, and having that conversation with people and not being shy to ask them what they need to access treatment. Um, Because it's really important um, in life and in our lives going forward that we are able to state our needs And state what's going to help, you know, I don't think we expect everyone to be experts in our own uh, needs and requirements uh, to access the environment Um, but I think what we maybe do expect and should expect is for people to ask uh, what they can do, especially treatment providers and that they will consider our requests um, with um, I can't think of the word but I suppose considering that they are a legitimate requests and taking them seriously um, and I think being taken seriously um, and feeling validated is extremely important for anybody um, but let alone with such a sensitive issue and where that was the least adhered to in my experience was when I was sat um, at tables and expected to um, eat with people whether that be a kind of a group snack or a group meal um, because for lots of us with disabilities the mechanics of eating can be quite um, complicated um, in lots of ways from the chewing um, and the the swallowing perspective but also using cutlery Um, so for example I was not allowed to bring in my own cutlery um, which I I use Um, weighted cutlery, which supports my arms and um, hands, which have weak muscle tone, and um, because it it supports them it means that um, I am less exhausted by the process um, of eating and um, I've got more energy, let's say, or arm power to do the other activities in my day. So I was physically able to use uh, regular knives and forks that aren't adapted for me Um, and that's what treatment providers would argue, you know, why do you need specialist equipment? You know, you're perfectly capable. I would say there's a difference between being capable and it being optimal for you to access your environment so that that's the aspect of um, using cutlery and then there's the um, messy mouth that I would often have and that was quite difficult certainly um, not just in treatment but throughout my life it's always drawn attention to me and made me quite sensitive about eating um and and dribbling as well i would dribble and maybe you can hear that in my speech that my mouth is not particularly strong the muscles around my mouth are quite weak and that can impact my intelligibility a little bit um it also means that sometimes um i'm susceptible to choking uh, or aspirating on food which is where it gets stuck and it's very difficult to breathe Um, and so for me certain foods are worse trigger foods for that and um, things like um, cucumber Um, I'm especially with the skin on I'm very likely to choke on that and have difficulties with that And again, that was viewed as me kind of trying to manipulate food and have eating disorder rules. Um, And I think it's really important if you've got someone in treatment who's struggling with the mechanics of eating to um, allow them to articulate their difficulties, you know, are they asking you to take the peel off their cucumber or to allow them to take the peel off their own cucumber, you know, however, whatever goes on. (laughs) Um, Or are they asking you to, oh, I can't eat carbohydrates, you know, because I struggle with the mechanics of eating of an entire food group. It's just something to consider and it's a conversation to be had, but I think ultimately it's really important that people are heard not only for their safety but also long term because um, rules can start to stick. I'm not a huge fan of the rules anyway that goes on, rules and regulations that occur in treatment um, as a whole but that's an entirely separate issue that I could talk for several hours about. Um, But I think, you know, just, just listening to people and to to kind of hear what they're saying what's going to help them what's what's maybe um, going to support them uh, with their swallow and with their chewing um because it's a safety issue at that stage so if i were to just um sum up everything i had to say um i think that everyone who is looking to recover from an eating disorder is has a very difficult job on their hands and i think um everyone is absolutely capable um with the um commitment and support and even if you don't have support the commitment and the commitment day after day um and i just think everyone who is in Um, a similar position to what I've been through Um, I just think, you know, keep going and absolutely, um, if you also have the additional um, difficulties of any other kind of um, issue that you would consider to fall under the category of disability extra you know good going you know I've massive respect because um as I said the world didn't set up for us um but and yet you know look at look at everything that you achieve um you might not see it necessarily um maybe that's been overshadowed by other people um, maybe you're feeling quite depressed because of the effects um of starvation um but one day i I hope that you will look back and look at what you've achieved um not only in sending a massive f u to diet culture by overcoming this uh eating disorder. Um, whatever form that takes for you um, and being a brilliant, you know, badass um, and taking on taking on things, taking on challenges and the world is, is huge and there's so much out there to be achieved and and to do and everyone has a brilliant contribution um, everyone is so different and diverse and everyone has something to give um, and I think it's great if you can if you can share how you're doing that um, and make your voice known Um, I think I really really would value that to see more diversity and to hear more voices I just love it Um, it keeps me going um, and I think I'm really, really grateful and glad to have this opportunity to speak on Tabitha's podcast, um, because this is my little way and my contribution, um, of talking about physical disability and recovery from eating disorder. Um and yeah, I just um I would really encourage people also to look at the uh, diverse bodies that there are in terms of um, people who consider themselves disabled in the body positivity movement um, and really engage with that because that can be um, really inspiring and motivating. Um, And yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, I'm beyond thankful to Hannah for um, first of all talking to me and then um, putting so much detail and thought into her responses and I certainly learned a lot from her. Um, as I said, i work worked with people with cerebral palsy and eating disorders before. Um, it was, the, the justification part that she talks about was so important for me to learn. I take a very, very biological approach to eating disorder recovery. It doesn't mean that psychology isn't involved, of course it is. And I had to really get my head around that, that there was this additional level of the eating disorder being justified because of what was going on otherwise in the physical body. Um, and so that was, that was a really wonderful thing for me to learn, I think. And I just loved the way that Hannah focused on that and, and was able to then explain that further. It breaks my heart to hear the um, treatment experiences and Just that that a positive treatment experience would be to be treated like a normal person, Um, that really is heartbreaking. I do hope that some treatment providers listen to this and that maybe we can help change some of those things because it just sounds ludicrous actually to me that such things would be the case, but this is not the first time that I've heard that either. And I think that um, bringing more awareness, you know, like we can bring eating disorder awareness into the world, but we have to start talking about different populations more, um, and people with disabilities in particular, and the high incidence of eating disorders that exist among people with disabilities. So if you have a eating disorder and a disability, and you'd like to talk to me, I'd be very interested to hear from you. And the email address is info at And thanks again to Hannah for being so willing to help me with this podcast episode. And just, I think that you're a brilliant person. And I can't wait to hear more from you. Best of luck in the final parts of your recovery as well. Cheers, and until next time, cheerio.